Hi and welcome to the Village Traders Podcast. I'm your host, Njabulan Zabande. This podcast is aimed at helping you and experienced traders navigate the markets and learn from other traders. My guest today is no stranger to the South African trading industry. It's Simon Brown, our returning guest. Um, so today we're going to be talking about um, trading CFDs, picking stock brokers, and charting. Um, how are you, Simon? Jabula, always good. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks. Thanks for borrowing us the time once again. Cool, man. Cool. So it's fine having you around. Um, so can you um, talk us to what are der- derivatives and the different types there are? Yeah, so, so derivatives, and let's start with what a derivative is. So assuming we know what a share is, or perhaps a commodity or a currency or something, but you know, in essence, let's focus on shares. They're all broadly the same underlying. And, and that's, you, know, you buy the share, and, and, and now you own it, and it goes up, you make money, it goes down, you, you, you lose money. And if you buy 10,000 rands worth of shares, well, you pay 10,000 rand. You pay full price. The difference with derivatives is that you don't pay the full price. So if you get, if you buy 10,000 rand of shares, you would pay one or 2,000 rand, what we call a margin, a good faith deposit. Um, in other words, you're essentially buying that share um, or that commodity index, currency, whatever it is. Um, and, and you're buying it with, with a loan, with a loan from whoever your broker is, be it a, a, you know, a trading platform, a bank, whoever that might be. So in essence, you're, you're now trading with 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 loaned money and it's definitely trading yeah i buy a share i can literally hold it at zero cost to me for the rest of my life and i can leave it to my heirs and they can hold it for the rest of their life but as soon as we're in a derivative and you've got a loan attached to it there's there's interest components because the bank's going to charge you for that interest um you know you've you've got time against you because if the share's going sideways you're losing money because of that uh, uh, interest component and your risk is is that you've only put down say one or two thousand but you've got ten thousand exposure if you wake up tomorrow and you happen to own steinhoff and it falls 70 percent your ten thousand rand investment or exposure is now three thousand rand um and and you've it's a seven thousand rand loss and you owe that seven thousand rand um but you only put down one or two which means you've got to pony up another five or six thousand rand uh, and and your 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 broker is going to want that money. So the key point with derivatives, and not all of them, and I'll touch on that in a second. But you can lose more than you than you start with. Um, and and you know the broker is going to try and prevent that from happening. They're going to try and close you out. They're going to try and you know. But in the case of Steinhoff, it literally you know first trade on that Wednesday morning was seventy percent down on the last trade on the Tuesday evening. There was nothing the broker could do. So you can lose more than you you start with. And there's a couple of different types of, of, of derivatives. So you get your spot, which is basically your FX, uh, basically you trade at spot, and there are lots of you know, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 uh, dollars, whatever the case is. But again, you don't put down 100,000, you put down $1,000, and you get that gearing effect. You've got 100,000 exposure, you put down 1,000, so your gearing is effectively 100 times. Uh, you then get your futures contracts, which have expiry dates, typically once a quarter, um, and there'll be a basket. Uh, and then, of course, you get your contract for difference, which is a CFD. And it's very much, CFDs and futures are fairly simple, except for sort of two key points. Uh, your, your, your CFD is what we call OTC, over-the-counter. In other words, it's not exchange-traded. Uh, and that has some implications, and we can touch on that in a moment. 
whereas your futures contract will trade in an exchange. So it'll have certain terms, it'll have expiry dates, it'll say, you know, this contract is 100 barrels of oil or 50 shares or 10 rand a point, whatever it might be. With a CFD, typically it's going to be one CFD, one share, nice and clean, no expiry date. Uh, you can hold it as long as you like. The futures has the interest built into it, whereas the CFD, you, that interest is calculated on a daily basis. And then the last derivative is an option. Uh, locally on the JSC, we call them warrants. Um, and the beauty of warrants is that the other derivative products are the obligation to buy or sell. In other words, that's why you lose more than you start with. A warrant is the right to buy or sell. And that's a key point. So that if it goes to a point where you put a thousand bucks in and it's now a horror show, well, you can only lose a thousand. In other words, your downside is kept at a hundred percent. You can never lose more than you start with. And I actually started my trading in the late nineties in warrants. And truthfully, because in South Africa, you know, there was a futures exchange. It was only indices, but it, it was it was priced for institutions, not for individuals. Um, and I really liked warrants, except the complexity, you know, the, the, the formula for pricing a warrant, Black Skulls, uh, you know, written in the, I think, what, late, uh, mid to late 70s. Uh, Messiers Black Skulls and Merton, who wrote it, I mean, they got a Nobel Prize for it. This is not low end math. And you get all the Greeks, the, the Vegas, the Rias, the Deltas, and, and all of those uh, thetas and the like coming out of it. Um, but I really like them in the sense that your downside's limited. You can do some fun with straddles and butterflies and different, putting them together, et cetera. The problem we have in South Africa in the warrant market is that there's just not very many. Uh, if you're trading top 40, not too bad. But if you're trading you know, individual shares, I was trading with a friend. Uh, he occasionally trades warrants and he, he took a position in Distel. Um, and there's no warrant on Distel. You know, there just isn't. Like, you know, and when he, he had it earlier, he had a position on NASPAS. And there was only one. Um, and that's fine. That one happened to be a decent enough warrant. There's not much choice. Now, that's in the retail listed space. A lot of uh, warrants, when they sort of options, trade OTC. But again, they're very much priced for institutions. Now, when you go to America, it's a different story. Uh, uh, the joint friend of ours, Petri Radenhuis, he sometimes is trading options out of the US. Um, and that's a very, very active market. Uh, our market, significantly less so. Okay. And when I'm, when I'm trading over the counter or, you know, CFDs over the counter, am I trading against other members of the, of that, of that provider or I'm trading against the provider themselves? Ah, so that's a great point. You, you, you're probably, so you're not trading against the provider. Um, you, you, you never trade against the provider in that sense. What they're doing, your, your platform, you know, unless they uh, absolute shocks, and, and we'll get to that as well. Um, you're not trading against them. They're going to hedge the position. But they don't want to take risk. You know, if you lose money, they don't want to make money because then if you make money, they lose money and, and they don't want that risk. They make their profit from, you know, charging some fees, that overnight interest rate, and they make small margins. But if they've got a big enough client base doing enough transaction, you know, that small margin adds up to, to plenty enough money. Um, but then what they do is they hedge the position. So let's say I buy 100 Sassel shares and I go long CFD. They go into market and they buy 100 Sassel shares. So if I make a profit of 10 grand, they've made a profit of 10 grand on the Sassel shares and they, they pay that profit over to me. Of course, if I then lose 10 grand, well, they've lost 10 grand and they take my loss and offset against theirs. So they've hedged that position. Um, what some of the providers do is they, they what we call net hedging. 
In other words, if I go and buy 100 Sasol shares and you go short 80 Sasol shares, they take 100 minus 80 leaves 20. So they just go into market to buy 20 because they take in the view that, you know, my loss offsets your win or your, you know, your loss offsets my win as the case may be. And their overall exposure for the book rather than the individual is only 20 Sasol. So, it's, you know, and, and there's, there's, there's you know, pros and cons to both and, and different providers do it differently. Um, we see certainly a lot of them are doing that net hedging where they'll net off the clients because it saves them having to go into market to do the hedge. So it saves them fees on the transaction of, of buying and selling. There is, however, then the risk that you default. Um, you know, let's go back to the Steinhoff example. Let's say I was short Steinhoff um, and you, you were long Steinhoff uh, and we had exactly the same position. My profit, let's say, is you know, 15,000 and you've lost 15,000, but you didn't have 15,000 in your account. You only had five. So you now owe the provider 10,000 and they want that 10,000 because they need to pay it to me. What happens if you can't pay? Now they need to. Now <clears throat> we saw this, there was a a local CFD company who had a UK office. Um, and in 2008, that's exactly what happened. Uh, one, of their, one of their clients defaulted and they actually had to shut down the entire operation because they simply didn't have the capital um, to, 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 to pay off and to essentially net across. So, so there is some risk in that environment. Now, you know, in this case, we're talking, there are only two traders there. It's just me and you. Truthfully, their book is typically way bigger. Um, it's why they, you know, even if you, if you look at the markets and the shares that they offer, they don't offer the full range because they want to sort of narrow the range that we're trading in to create more activity in individual shares uh, rather than, than too broad to try and reduce that risk. Because the more people... And that standoff example, if there were a hundred of us short and a hundred of us long and one person defaults, well, in the big picture, it's small. But if there's only one person short and one person long and, and, and someone defaults, then it can start to get real. Okay. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned the, um, you can lose more than what you, you, uh, what you start with. And we can always mitigate that by having a stop loss. Um, what happens when I have a guaranteed stop um, and uh, um, the, the, the market gaps through my stop. And also what happens when, um, you know, I have a, a, um, I have a, a kind of a smart stop where I, I just have a level in the market to say when the market um, closes below, the, below or above this level, um, I, I'll, I'll exit the trade. And the market gaps through that stop so much that the margin that I have in the, um, in the broker's account is less than that loss that I, I had just incurred with that gap. Yeah. So, so your point is great. The way you help try and mitigate the losing more than you start with is of course a stop loss. Um, and let's touch on both of them. So the, the, the one is where it's not a guaranteed stop. And I mean, I used to work on a, on a trading floor and I sometimes, you know, th this would happen to clients where you know, it, it gaps through the stop and the broker then just closes you out. I mean, as soon as it starts approaching that stop loss, they will start getting ready. And as soon as your account balance starts to get to zero, they will start closing your position because you know, they don't want to have to phone you and say, please, sir, send money. That, that's not what they want to do. Um, it's not what they, you know, it's not the fun part of the job at all. Um, but in the case of a gap or something like that, that's, that can happen. So I mean, your stop is somewhere, but it just gaps straight through. 
they will close you immediately. Um, and now there's a negative balance in your account and, and you're going to get the phone call next saying, Hey, you know, sorry for you. Uh, you, you need to send money. And, 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 you know, typically like you, you've got 15 minutes, please send quick, quick. Um, in the case of a guaranteed stop is the broker is essentially taking that risk. So if it gaps through, well, then they will, they will, they will make, they will get you out at the guaranteed level and they will take the rest of the risk uh, on the downside on, onto their account, which means they need to be well funded. But in essence, they do it like an insurance product. So they charge you a small little fee, you know, like, like maybe a tenth of a percent or something like that. Um, and their argument is that most of the time, they'll get you out at exactly your level and they'll get that tiny little fee and no problem whatsoever. Um, you know, and a hundred times that'll happen and they get the fee and then the hundred and first time it gaps and they've taken a loss, but they then essentially take it from those small little fees that they've accrued. So they're basically running a, an insurance product and, and that brings a bit of risk to their, to their, to their book. Um, but again, with enough data and enough clients, you can price it correctly. And, and that then gives, the client that certainty and truthfully it gives that broker the certainty as well now, i always say if, if your broker offers a guaranteed stop use it even if there's a the small fee associated with it it's like insurance you know you insure your car and you hope that you never claim on it and if you never claim on it truthfully you've wasted the money but when you do claim on it man it's worth absolutely every penny um, assuming they pay you out and, you know, let's not go down the rabbit hole of, <laughs> of insurers and their, and, 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 and their questionnaires and the like. But, you know, it, it, it's an insurance policy to protect you and to ensure that you don't ever lose more than you started with. And, you know, we're running a, a portfolio at the moment and you know, I've got a stop loss and, and my whole risk model is predicated on, on me getting out of my stop loss. Now, I give it some room for slippage. You know, I, I, I'm running the 2% rule but I actually only run 1.8%. And you know, so I've got an extra bit of wiggle room. But if suddenly I'm getting out at, you know, three or 4% loss of my portfolio, the whole, the whole sort of trading concept, the whole thing starts to become unstable. So if you've got guaranteed stops from your provider, always use them. Uh, and you also mentioned one of the companies that um, uh, was bankrupt by one of the clients defaulting in the, in the CFD market. How can I differentiate it, differentiate between a uh, a scam broker, you know, someone like JP Morgan in, re in recent times where their client couldn't get their money out or they couldn't access mm -hmm. the platform to close their positions, and a legit broker? Uh, also, with their legit brokers, uh, um, how can I differentiate between a broker that won't have a problem of one client uh, defaulting and I can't get my money back because one of their clients defaulted? Yeah, so, so the, the, the point you raise here is counterparty risk. So if I'm trading an exchange traded product, such as a, a warrant or you know, a futures contract or a share or something like that, um, the exchange is there to protect me. So if there's, if there's, if there's fraud at my, at my broker or anything like that, not a problem, the, the JC steps in and sees me right. And even if you're trading through an FSP, financial services provider, you know, they're regulated by the FSCA, they will have insurance products and, and you're protected from that. As soon as you're trading a, a spot product or a CFD product, um, you essentially, you take that counterparty risk. You know, if your broker's not there tomorrow morning when you wake up, there is no one to go to. I mean, you, know, you can go to the FSCA, but if the broker's gone, the broker's gone. So there's a couple of points to it. I mean, the, the first is, you know, if, if, they're a, if they're a listed company, it certainly increases your, your, your 
your your your viability. You can actually go and see their balance sheet. You can see, but then they ring fence. The example I mentioned a moment ago of the UK operation that went bust. Uh, the parent company was a listed South African company, but the UK operation is ring fenced. Um, so when the UK went bust, they just walked away. You know, it was a subsidiary. It didn't have rights to the parent group. So then it, it really comes down to to a number of issues. I mean, there was one I was looking at. You know, someone had, had people come to me all the time. They've heard about X or Y and Z broker, and I've never heard of them. I've spent decades in this industry. I spent days every day, you know, digging around, and they come up with a broker I've never heard of, and I'm like. Like why? Why are you going to this weird and wonderful broker that no one's ever heard of? Why not just go with one of the more legitimate ones that it's got a reputation, um, etc. You can do simple things like just Google them, just see, go to Halapita, see what the comments are, see what people are saying, um, that sort of thing. Um, look what their withdrawal is. This one where someone DM'd me and, and I had a look at their withdrawal policy. And their withdrawal policy is uh, you request to withdraw and we will decide within seven days. Seven days? Like with my current broker, if I put a request in by three o'clock, I get it same day. If I put it after three o'clock, I get it tomorrow morning, first thing. What's the seven days for? Um, and the sneaky trick is deposit some money, a small amount, and then draw it and see how that works. You know, does it come back to you um, quickly and, 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 and efficiently? And, and careful of gimmicks, you know, careful of, of uh, free, because there's costs involved. If it's free, they're just charging you. You can't see it. You know, a thousand times gearing. Nobody, nobody makes money with a thousand times gearing. You know, the best trader in the world, a thousand times geared, eventually goes bust. Um, look at where they registered. You know, Cyprus, uh, 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 Seychelles, two giant red flags. I used to trade uh, Bitcoin on a Seychelles exchange. And, and the reason I, I, I traded at that particular company was because they, you know, they, they offered ease. It was a great platform. They had a large market. Um, and most importantly, they, they, they uh, uh, allowed me to go short or long, whichever way I wanted. But man, I didn't trust them. I was convinced one morning I'd wake up and they'd be gone. So literally every night I would take my profits and take them back in Bitcoin to Luno um, locally, just sort of to protect myself. Um, and I, I actually don't know if they are still there, but they, they were just, you know, it, it was fun and I was making money, but I didn't put, I didn't put my big bucks there. And I'm always sweeping my broker accounts, taking some, some cash out. Um, uh, if, if they're, if they're hitting you up on Facebook and, and, and promising you, you know, crazy stuff, you know, be scared. You know, there was a chap this weekend who's, who's got a, he's an FX company and should he buy a white or a red Ferrari? And I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> Everyone knows you buy a red Ferrari. You buy a white Bugatti or something. I, you know, if, if they're selling you on hype and, and they're promising you the world um, and, the, you know, you can't see anything on the Googles and the like, just... Go for the legitimate, go for the names we make. You know what, you might actually have to pay a little bit more. But if you can get your money out, it's worth every penny. Because if you can't get your money out, then ultimately your fees 100%. And then check the FSCA, Financial Services Conduct Authority. And a lot of companies, so in South Africa, contract for difference are not regulated. Um, which means that, you know, you just, you, so there's no oversight from the FSCA. But what's, what I've seen, there was one FX company who was registered at the FSCA to sell insurance products, and now they were trading FX. It, it, so the, F, the FSCA registration looks impressive, 
but it's actually bogus because it's not for what they're doing. Um, and that's easy. You go to the FECA website, you drop their number in and it'll tell you exactly what they registered for, who the individuals are. And don't, you know, uh, Mirror Trader International, which has now been exposed by uh, Texas uh, security authorities saying it, 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 it's not legit. Their, their, um, their Bitcoin provider says they're not legit. And I remember saying to them, when I had some run-ins with them, I said, why aren't you registered with the FSCA? And they're like, no, 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 because Bitcoin isn't a recognized product from the FSCA, isn't a recognized currency. And I'm like, okay, let's park that debate aside. You are a deposit-taking institution. You are trading derivatives discretionary you need a category 2A license. That's essentially a hedge fund license. I don't care if it's, if it's uh, uh, Bitcoin. I don't care if it's cows. What you are doing requires you to have a category 2A license. Um, so, you know, oftentimes I think that we probably see the red flag, but we get overwhelmed by the, the promises and the hype and the you know, instant execution and best software package. And those sort of things these days are commodity. Truthfully, brokers are a commodity. Now, they all offer good charting packages. They all offer you know, quick execution. They all offer decent spreads. Um, there's, there's, you know, we, we don't need to go and, you know, oh, we've got the best charting package. That's not going to make you better money. And then the ones that, you know, sign up and get a bonus and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, you're giving me a bonus because you're assuming I'm losing money. And, and you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of red flags. Google is your friend. And if, if you're not comfortable, don't override your gut, your gut instinct and, and go for the brand. You know, hit up someone on Twitter, drop you a DM, drop me a DM, ask a question, you know, what about? Because nine out of 10 times, the, the brokers that people ask me about, I'm like, you know what? I don't know but I can't see any compelling reason to sign up with them as opposed to a broker who I do know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And these the, the, uh, bonus sign up, they, they're especially big in the FX market. You know, a lot of Forex mm -hmm. brokers offer those. And, and they're quite simple. The logic is you put in $500, they give you $500 and you'd actually lose 1000 um, And only half of it was real money. They're just expecting you to lose it. And don't, don't underestimate and in fact, there's just been a case recently with the FSCA um, where they actually would, 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 would adjust spreads to, to, to force traders to lose money. I mean, you know, it's out and out crookery. I mean, make no bones about it. Um, so, you know, those shysters, if, if you start to make money, they will one way or another make you lose it. And their final uh, uh, sort of coup d'etat will be, they just won't pay you, that, won't give you a payout. Yeah, yeah. And why, why do prices differ from uh, one CFD provider to the other, especially in the so, FX market? Yeah, so, so I mean, in the FX market in particular, the reason is quite simple. There is no central FX market, whereas JSC, there is a central JSC order book. So, you know, let's take Sassel again. Every Sassel trade goes through the JSC, and therefore there is what you can call a master price list. And that exists with the JSC, and they then disseminate it. What will happen sometimes is that uh, uh, platforms will miss, will drop some packets. So they might miss a price point or two, and, and that pr price point might be a high or a low or something. So a chart might look slightly different. Um, for me, I don't massively stress that. Uh, you know, I'm not a pixel pointer. When I'm doing a, a level, I don't zoom into the exact 
half cent type of thing. I'm looking at the zone, so a cent here or two cents there doesn't stress me. The trick with FX, however, is there is no central order book. There's no single place where all dollar euro trades go through. Um, you know, and in fact, the, 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 if, if JP Morgan is doing a trade with City Chase, um, they just do the trade between each other. You know, they might report it via Bloomberg or something, but there's no central order book as we see with exchanges. So there will be some variances. <clears throat> Excuse me. There will be some variances on those prices. Again, on the, the major currencies, uh, dollar, yen, euro, and sterling, those variances should be, you know, absolute pips. They should be absolutely tiny and, and, and not there at all. Um, but, but again, you'll see the same on the bid offer and the FX as well. Um, you know, where are they hedging? Where are they drawing their information from? Because um, they can get it from, from different markets. You know, uh, uh, there's a number of different providers who offer sort of central order books, but there's no unified central order book. Now, your order books can't get too out of sync. If there's a five cent difference on the euro dollar between two different order books, well, you basically go long on the one, short on the other, and you arbitrage it. And that act of arbitraging will bring them back into, into sequence. So the variance is never going to be significant, but it will be a couple of pips at, at the end. When you're looking at, at, and the same applies for that in terms of, of commodities, et cetera, your indices and equities will have a central order book. Um, and, and there, either your, your price variance has dropped packets, which shouldn't be happening, but does sometimes. Um, and also some of the brokers will, particularly for liquidity issues, will, will have slightly different bid and offer. And I'll give you an example. Let's go back to Sassel again. Let's say there's a buyer, 153 Rand, but they're only buying one share. So the broker might not show that 153 Rand. They might show the next best, which is 152.90, because the value is the same. Because if you trade 150, uh, you know, the one share, you're only going to get one, and then you're going to hit the other prices going down. Now, when I'm sitting at my JC broker with my live prices, I can see that full depth, but most of the, the, the platforms only show you that top depth and they might not show you if there is insufficient volume sitting on the best bid or the best offer. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And uh, is it better to chart with a, with a different um, charting package, like, you know, TradingView or Investing.com or Iris, for example, or to stick with the uh, charting package that your broker is, is giving you? I, I think that's a personal preference. And, 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 you know, the one place where it's probably better to do it on the platform is if you're doing like, like really quick trading, like, like, you know, some of those platforms have one click trade. In other words, you're looking at the chart, you're watching it. Um, and a second later you want to enter and you just click a button, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're in, but you know, particularly if you, you get used to, let's say you're on trading view or Iris, whatever it is, and you get used to the platform, you know how it works. And, and when you make that decision to buy or sell, you know, you've got some minutes or some hours, or maybe you've got until tomorrow morning to go make the buy or sell decision. So there's a lot to be said for, for using a platform that you're, that you're comfortable with. I've been using a new, a new platform recently, and it, it's weird because I've got to learn how it works. You know, it, it literally took me half an hour to find out how to draw a trend line. And it's embarrassing <laughs> to admit, but, you know, it just, <clears throat> I clicked, 
every button three times, but I never clicked the trend line button, not once, you know, <laughs> whereas if I'd stuck with the platform that I know, it would be a case of, oh, well, okay, I really know this platform. So truthfully, it's, it's agnostic, it, it, you know, and, and if you have one where you think you're getting perhaps cleaner data, less packet loss, or you have one where you're very comfortable and you like the platform, uh, some of them have a sort of social media aspect built into it, so there's a benefit for that too as well. I think TradingView does some of that. I, I don't use it, so I don't have experience on it. Um, in which case, you can absolutely do your charting somewhere and then do your trading uh, on, on a different platform, absolutely. Yeah, personal preference for the individual. Okay. And what was your worst experience with the CFD provider, if any? So I, I, I mean, I, I fortunate that I started trading CFDs this week. Me and you are, are doing some some live trading, uh, CFD trading. It's my first time with CFD trading. I, I traded equities up until about 2005, 2006. And then I started trading index futures only, Aussie futures, uh, trading my 721 in the 5, uh, 15 and 60 minute. Um, and then when I joined Standard Bank, because of compliance and because of media and stuff, I just completely stopped trading equities. I literally haven't traded equities in about 15 years. Um, but there's, I mean, there's two CFT stories which are, are horror stories. The one I've mentioned already where, where a local provider just shut down their UK operation. And if you had cash in that UK operation, you had a claim on the, on the, on the, on the liquidation, but you just had a claim. And I don't know what it ended up as, but you probably got a couple of cents on the pound or a couple of pence on the pound, I suppose. And there was another one in Joburg, which also collapsed around the same time. But the difference with that one is it was out and out fraud. Um, so like they, they promised that you had segregated accounts and the accounts were at Investec and they only drew the money as you wanted to trade. But actually they were taking the money and spending it on dinner and wine and fancy cars and, and holiday accommodation and stuff. And, and eventually that collapsed and it ended up, it, 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 uh, it, it was owing about, if memory serves correct, about 350, 400 million to clients. Um, and the chap who did it and, and you know, he's known in the industry he just fled the country and he disappeared to one of those countries that doesn't have an extradition treaty and he hasn't been seen since. Um, and in that case, again, you know, you were probably getting a couple of cents back for every rand that you had uh, uh, deposited. So, you know, the, the frauds have all been, you know, sometimes it's not fraud. Sometimes it's just a default, which causes the collapse in the one example. And then the other, it was just out and out fraud. I mean, it was just crookery. Now, it probably didn't start out as crookery. But that doesn't matter. It ended up as it. And it, you know, I, I remember I actually had a look at them. So I was working at that point at Standard Bank. So there was no chance I was going to open a, an account with a competing broker. But I had a look at them. And on the surface, they, they looked okay. Um, you know, they, they claimed that the money was at Investec. They didn't provide proof. And perhaps that's where we should have asked for some proof. Um, you know, I knew people who did trade there and who had drawn, withdrawn money, no problem whatsoever. I mean, in fact, I know someone who withdrew money two days before the whole thing collapsed. Um, so they weren't, you know, what we would like is, is, bright red, is giant red lights, you know, that, that warn us that something's happening, you know. And oftentimes, you, you don't see them until after the event, which is you know, why I go back to. So, you know, if they listed, if it's a listed broker, then that's great because it gives you more visibility. You can see their balance sheet. Um, 
ask the hard questions, dig around at the FSCA, uh, you know, have a Google, you know, Google broker plus complaints, see what people are saying. And, and yes, every broker will have complaints because, you know, some clients are angry, some clients are bitter and truthfully, some clients don't know what they're doing, um, but get a sense for it because th there is no perfect, you know, as soon as you move off market, if you're trading on market product, you know, JC product, uh, futures and, and, and options and the like, you've got that JC protection. As soon as you move off market, you take counterparty risk. It's absolute. And there's no way you cannot remove that counterparty risk 100%. That's not possible. What you want to do is minimize it as much as possible. The other trick I do is I don't leave lazy money in my broker account. Um, you know, in, in, my, in, in, my, in, my, in my trading accounts, in my, in my broker account, which is a, you know, JC registered broker and stuff, I leave cash in there, I own interest and I'm comfortable with it. But in my, in my, you know, if I open with a trading broker, I don't leave lazy money there. I leave enough money for me to trade. And as I'm making profit, you know, at some point I'm ratcheting up, but at some point I hit my, my capital allocation that I want. And then I sweep profits every couple of months, take it home. You know, don't just leave it sitting there just in case. Yeah, just in case you they, they wake up and they, they're gone, at least you have some of your money back. Yeah. And the yeah. nice thing would be when, when, you know, the profits that you've withdrawn are over and above what you've put in. That's uh, kind of like a risk-free uh, portfolio yeah. that you're in. And eventually you get there and it'll take some time, you know, and that might take a couple of years, but, but eventually you will get there. It's also because as a trader, you know, your idea is that as you grow, you'll trade bigger and bigger and bigger, but there becomes a point where it's just too big. You, you know, if, and, and there's two limits to it. The first limit is just a emotional psychological aspect where, you know, I can trade a small amount of money without any fear whatsoever because I'm just so used to it and because, you know, relative to my net worth, it's small. But there would come a point where it's just too big. When I trade index futures, you know, I've discovered there's a cap at how many contracts I can trade. And, and beyond that cap, it, it just, my head doesn't work. My, my, you know, I just, I trade like an absolute idiot above that. So, so there's a point at which I just don't even try anymore. Um, but the second point is, you know, if you just keep on compounding, eventually you're richer than the Federal Reserve and you can't trade because you're just market moving and you could move the euro dollar if you wanted to. So, you know, at some point you reach that upper threshold and you then just start sweeping the cash out. Cool. Um, we can park it here. And thank you, Simon, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah. And lastly, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, they'll find me on the Twitters, uh, Simon PB. Um, I'm everywhere. I'm on, I mean, Twitter's my preferred. Uh, if you go to my vanity website, simonbryan.coza, all my links to social medias, LinkedIn's, Facebook's, Twitter's, email addresses, uh, everything there. And obviously, I spend a bunch of time uh, podcasting at the like, uh, just one lap. Uh, I write for Finweek. I'm on Business Day TV. And I do a podcast every morning, a live podcast with MoneyWeb at 630 Monday to Friday. So actually, as I think about it, man, I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hence I said in the introduction, a man who needs very little introduction in the South African space. Yeah, no, it does turn out I'm everywhere. I work hard, it seems. I'm always trying to be lazy, but it turns out I'm terrible at being lazy. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, thank, you, thank you, Simon. Um, just to, before we close, just to plug, um, we're doing a webinar every Wednesday uh, evening, half past five to half past six. 
around there where we're trading a live equity portfolio. Um, I'll stick an invitation to that on the show notes. Um, join Simon and myself uh, on that. And you're welcome to request to be a panelist someday if you want to share your screen as well. Um, otherwise, uh, be sure not to miss another episode of The Village Trader. Subscribe to the website at villagetrader.co.za. Follow us at villagetrader.za and follow myself, Njabulo, at, at Njabulo underscore Gojo on Twitter. Um, take you next time on The Village Trader. Thanks.